The podcast is supported by Premier Knitting Club, a registered New Zealand charity and virtual tribe of knitters providing knitted items and fundraising for neonatal intensive care units in New Zealand. I'm Courtney, I was a Premier myself and I run Premier Knitting Club. When we donate knitting to the NICU, families are given knits for them and their baby to treasure forever and keep. And we always need knitters to help us. If you have family members or friends who are knitters and want to help, you can find Premier Knitting Club New Zealand on Instagram or Facebook. We've also included the website in the show notes. We love that Niku Mum podcast and are proud to support it. Hi everyone, welcome to Met Niku Mum, a podcast where we share the stories of um, New Zealand parents who have had a baby in a neonatal unit across the country. Um, my name's Shan. I am the host of your podcast. Um, I am an ex Niku mum, and yeah, really, I'm just really passionate about sharing the experiences that people went through while in the unit because it is a very lonely and isolating time. So I just wanted to make sure that any future parents in the unit um, actually had a little bit of support in terms of uh, hearing what other people had gone through and potentially relating to what they had gone through. Um, Today's episode is uh, a heavy one. Again, um, just a trigger warning, it does talk about child loss. Um, We speak to Kirsten, whose daughter Maeve was born at 35 weeks um, after Kirsten had quite an extensive inpatient stay uh, because her waters broke quite early. Um, Maeve just before she was born, was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, so she was born and Kirsten and her husband kind of knew that the outlook was a bit bleak for Maeve. Uh, so she really wanted to share her story, what she went through, because she she felt quite alone in the unit, knowing that all these other babies were getting better. Um, and she just knew that Maeve was not going to be getting better so yeah um it's important as difficult as they are to hear it is important I think to share these kind of stories uh because at the end of the day it's a um it's a very real truth for some people that their babies don't come home from the unit or don't come home well from the unit or they lose them after after being home so if you don't think you are in the right mind space to uh to listen to this then maybe give it a miss um Kirsten does have three three more beautiful um babes after after Maeve so she's got four children um she says that her three babies are her rainbow um and Maeve is her sunshine so it's a really beautiful way for her to to look at it so um, yeah, I'll let Kirsten tell her story and give a bit more insight into everything that her family has been through. Um, all right, cool. Do you just want to start off um, introducing yourself and your your kids and your family? Yeah, cool. So um, I'm Kirsten. I live in the Waikato. Um, I'm a mum of four. I've got, um, so my firstborn Maeve was my Niku baby. And then I've had three kids since then. I've got Murphy, who just turned five, Juniper, who is three, and Albie, who's one and a half. And yeah, we live together um, with my husband on a lifestyle block near Tiamutu. Cool. You're actually not very far from us. We're in Cambridge. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice yeah. area. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I just want to say, uh, Maeve, first of all, one of my favourite girls' names. Oh, um, thank you. But our last name is Mallinger, so like we could never do Maeve Mallinger. It just it sounded too much like um like a superhero. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful with the m's (laughs) it is it is um and I also just obviously I know Maeve has passed away and I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss of of Maeve I've been looking through your Instagram she was so beautiful not that your other kids aren't beautiful as well but (laughs) yeah such a such a devastating loss yeah um so Maeve was your NICU babe. Do you want to talk through your pregnancy and everything that happened um, kind of up until her birth? Yeah, definitely. So it was a relatively tricky pregnancy. Um, it all started that it was a huge surprise, first of all. Um, we weren't planning to have kids quite so soon. My yeah. husband was actually away for work when I found out and I rung him in tears one morning. He was like at breakfast with, I don't know, maybe like a hundred other people. And I rang him up and just started crying on the phone. Um, <laughs> and yes, yeah, so it all kind of went from there. He spent yeah. the first, my first trimester away. So he was away that whole time. Um, yeah. And it, right from the moment I found out I was pregnant, I just had a bad feeling. I just had like this intuition that things were not right and it wasn't going to go well. Yeah. Um, I know pregnancy is a very stressful time and I think a lot of you know a lot of people probably myself included thought it was just that kind of anxiety Mm. um but I don't know I just always had a feeling and anyway at the 12 week scan everything looked good however the sonographer found an anomaly with the umbilical cord um so I spent from that time till my 20 week scan, just in a total panic, like assuming it was going to be some really, really terrible thing. Um, at the 20 week scan, everything looked good and they, but they confirmed the umbilical cord thing, which yeah. funnily enough ended up not actually being true. So two sonographers actually got that wrong. It wasn't even a problem. Um, but I think that just kind of fueled my anxiety the whole way through. And it was just, yeah. I was convinced everything was up. Um, anyway, because of the apparent umbilical cord thing, um, I had a growth scan at 28 mm. weeks, I think, and she was really, really tiny by that stage. So they wanted to just keep an eye on her. Um, mm. And then I went for another scan, maybe like two-ish weeks later. And that's when they decided that she had IUGR. She was just really, really tiny. And I had super high fluid levels as well, um, yeah. which... No one was kind of that concerned. It was just sort of like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like, you know, we'll just monitor you. Um, And a couple of days after that, I woke up one morning, like just feeling really weird. Like just, I don't know, just had a strange feeling, kind of had back pain, just felt a bit off. Um, Went into work and, you know, just the usual. And then within like a couple of hours, I just, I don't know, just again, the intuition, I was just like, something's not, something's up here. Um, my midwife was on leave. So I just went to the hospital and I was only like five minutes away from the hospital. Um, so I went up, went up to the hospital and they, you know, put me onto the monitors and just checked things out and that. And I vividly remember the doctor saying, oh, sorry. So then they decided to do the fetal fibronectin test, like the test where yeah. they swab you to see if you're going to go into labour. 
and yeah. because of the polyhydramnius like they were they're about to discharge me and then they said oh actually i think we should probably just do this test so i remember the doctor yeah. saying to me organize to be collected like organize for someone to come pick you up um it's, it'll definitely be negative but you know we just got to do this to just kind of tick all the boxes and of course it came back positive um and so they did all the usual things you know like they gave me steroids and honestly it's a bit of a blur I can't really remember it was all like a bit of a shock um and obviously I was just like in my work clothes how many weeks were you at this point so I was like almost 31 weeks at this point I think I was maybe like 30 plus a few days um so anyway when it came back positive that kind of started everything in motion um and yeah it was a bit of a blur like I remember like the NICU doctors and different people all coming in to talk to me and like prepping me for having a prem baby and so on um and then I went up to the Mm. I think I stayed the night in the assessment unit um and then I went up to the ward and contractions kind of started kicking off and I remember no one really believed me up on the ward like oh you'll be fine like don't don't worry about it Mm. um until they kind of put me on the monitor and were like, oh, okay, I guess it is true. Like you are having really regular contractions. Um, so they shipped me back downstairs. Why do they never believe you? I I don't know. I, I don't know. And I think it's that first time mum thing, right? They're just like, oh, you haven't done this before. You yeah. don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, so they, they shipped me to downstairs to the assessment unit and... I can't really remember what happened then. I was just sort of like, and I was like in one of the little rooms there and they were just sort of keeping an eye on me. And then like very dramatically, my waters broke like everywhere. And having polyhydramnius, it was just like ridiculous, like everywhere. Um, <laughs> and everyone was panicking because um, apparently you can have like a cord prolapse with polyhydramnius because yeah. the baby's like got an unstable lie. Um so then I'm panicking and ringing my husband and I don't know, it was just all very stressful. Um, yeah. And then I went into labor and they had me in the delivery suite and like, you know, your baby's going to come soon and so on. Um, but then she didn't come. I don't know. They gave me the, like the medications and all that stuff and tried really hard to stop it and it worked. So that was good. Um, and, but I spent like four and a half weeks then inpatient in hospital so that wasn't a very good time um it was pretty stressful just like the constant I'm sure probably like quite a lot of NICU mums have had these kind of um you know circumstances um and the doctors are just constantly in and out and I was being scanned every couple of days because they were so worried about her growth and like the umbilical blood flow and all that kind of stuff um and all this time like they did all these really detailed anatomy scans because they couldn't figure out why the fluid was so high but she was so so small um yeah and you know that they would do the scan for like an hour and then they would get the doctors to review it and they would you know it was i it seemed like there were so many people involved all the time which you know that's i'm sure it's a good thing um however no one ever picked up what was actually wrong with me um which is quite surprising that um the abnormality that with her brain can be noticed from about 31 weeks so it's yeah i i don't know we've never really had any answers as to why nobody noticed that and it was about 35 weeks 
when I went for another scan and the sonographer just was very quiet and I had a bit of a bad feeling but she just was like oh you know it's fine like here's some photos and you know the doctor will talk to you and so on and anyway we waited like a couple of days for the doctor to come see us and we were told by the nurses oh the doctor's going to come and book you an induction date now because it just looks like it's to the point where she's going to be better out than in so yep. you know that that was all fine we'd been prepped all along that like any scan could require her to be born you know um so we were just kind of waiting like kind of getting excited oh great the doctor's gonna come um and tell us when our baby's gonna be born like that's gonna be really exciting and then the doctor just turned up one afternoon like you know no warning and just sort of walked into the room and said i'm so and so from maternal fetal medicine or she was like the waikato liaison with fetal medicine um yeah we were like oh you know okay and she's like um i've just got a very serious concern about your baby's brain um i can't tell you anything more and we were just completely blindsided like had no idea just none nothing whatsoever that we were about to get this news um so this and, had obviously come from that last scan that you'd had where the sonographer yeah. was but yes. no one had said anything between no. then no one had said anything and yeah it was just honestly it was like just the most vivid moment of my life just this kind of like my whole life had just changed with this woman walking into yeah. our room and yeah. I remember my husband and I were like so shocked but we were like well what like what is it can can you like you know just kind of give us more information and she just yeah. she just refused she was just like i can't i don't know we can't tell you anything else you're going to need to go to auckland and have an mri and so this was on a friday i i believe so we were going to go to auckland the, the following week um and anyway we we were like a total mess obviously like just yeah. couldn't just and plus we didn't know what to think about because they were so vague and cagey yeah yeah um, I remember the next day more doctors coming into our room just like the usual ward rounds and like honestly feeling like i was begging them i was like please tell me like you you have to tell me this is my baby no 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 we don't know anything we, we can't tell you and so the sunday night i actually went home i was still inpatient but i went home to spend the night um i was just i think probably just like a, a bit of a mess um and yeah. then overnight that night i went into labor for real so I think then my body had just had enough. It was just like, this is way too stressful. Like what's going on? Um, yeah. So we went back to the hospital and that's where the pregnancy part of the story ends, I suppose. Right. So do you want to just uh, go into your birth? Um, like obviously she was prem, so it probably wasn't the birth you were planning. Did you, did you get kind of, elements of the birth you were planning um and then obviously with her diagnosis it would have thrown another complete spanner in the works yeah so i guess yes and no like we were really lucky it was actually a very straightforward birth um we'd been told right from the get-go from when i first got into hospital like you're probably going to need a cesarean because your baby's small like very small and you know yeah. early and you know the i remember the anesthetist even came to talk to us and just talked us through everything 
and I really didn't want a cesarean, but of course, you know, I would have done that if that was needed. Um, and I remember going to delivery suite the, when I was actually about to have her. Um, and again, like one of the first things the um, obstetrician said was, oh, like probably just give up now, you're going to need a C-section. And I was like, oh, okay, like anyway, um, things, things definitely improved once my midwife arrived. That was really good. And they ended up needing to put me onto the, um, the drip to like hurry labor up just because she was struggling um yeah but it was actually fine as long as I lay in like a very specific position um she was okay and mm. she was born vaginally and we got to um like have skin to skin for a little while um but the probably like the most dramatic Amazing. thing with the labor was that when so before we got through to the delivery suite we like met one of the registrars you know as they do they come in and talk to you and that and the registrar just like looked for our notes and just absentmindedly was like, oh, yep, you know, da, 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 da. okay, baby has listened carefully. And we were like, what? And so all along her diagnosis was written in our notes, but nobody would ever tell us until this registrar accidentally read it aloud. Um, and so the labor itself was actually really good but i was pretty much like just googling my whole labor just like in an absolute tailspin. yeah yeah do you think they just didn't want to like freak you out or do you think they didn't want to tell you until they'd confirmed it like do you know kind of why they withheld that from you because that's quite a like a serious thing to not tell you yeah i agree um yeah so i think it was a mixture of all of those things like i think they didn't want to tell me until we'd had the mri um mm -hmm. which i get to a point but you know like if you're unwell and you're like if you go to your gp and they think you've got something like they might say oh we think you may have a broken arm let's send you for an x-ray yeah. They're not going to say, oh, yeah. we have no idea, you know? So I really struggle with that. Like, I think it was very unethical. Um, and it took away a lot of our choices and, like, oh, it's kind of hard to describe, but I just feel like a lot of the things with the birth may have been different or we might have made different yeah. choices for her in the early days and all that stuff. Like, we just didn't have any... I yeah, that our our autonomy was kind of taken by their decision to keep yeah. that. So yeah, and that's something that a lot of um, NICU mums or parents struggle with, regardless yeah. of any diagnoses or anything. It's just not having the power over your birth really. and over those decisions. Yeah, yeah. So it's really it is really hard, and it's like you go into the hospital and you do get treated a bit like you're just the vessel for this child and every yeah. decision is just sort of made around that I think is quite difficult mm. Mm. um so after birth you got skin to skin did she need any um you know like breathing support or anything was she as small as they had kind of guesstimated yeah, so she was very small. She was, um, well, I mean, in the scheme of NICU baby, she wasn't that small, but she was 1.8 kilos. Um, so I think she was about like four weeks behind her gestational age. Yeah. 
So um, she was born, what, 35 weeks. My yeah, twins were 32 weekers and yep. they were 1.8 each. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so she was 35 and four, I think. So mm. she wasn't even very, very early, but um, I think her size did make it a bit difficult for her. And yeah. she, now she didn't need breathing support, but she, yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, she, she was pretty good. She actually went to the like high level nursery um, when she was born, but she only stayed there for a few days just to, um, right. just to kind of, I think, I think it was more her diagnosis that made them put her in there. They were just kind of worried, not yeah. knowing what could happen. So when she was born, um, the pediatrician that we got was super, I mean, we love our pediatrician. Um, he was super, super, super experienced and he'd had one child in his entire career with this um, diagnosis. Wow. So it is, it is super rare. And so they didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I yeah. just, I think like that moment that I'm sure every person who's ever had a NICU baby can relate to is like that moment where you're like in the delivery suite or in theater or wherever it is and they take your baby and you're just like left alone. And I feel like everyone listening will like relate to that. It's pretty awful. Yeah. And it seems like as well as, as the mothers or as the birthing parent, we're always send our partner, like, go yes. with the baby do not of leave course. the baby like I'm fine you yeah. need to go with the baby so we are literally just left in this room and you're like just push this baby out or had this baby yeah. cut out of you but you're like alone and it's kind of like okay well you're done now you know it's such an unusual thing and it's like I don't think you can really prepare can you like you might know in advance yeah yeah my partner's gonna go with no. the babies babies but until it happens you're just like oh this is this is like another thing i don't yeah 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 um so she was in NICU for three weeks was it yeah she was she was in trip for three weeks we got home just before christmas a couple days before christmas oh, yeah that was that really special so nice. yeah it was yeah. um so when she was in NICU, did she have any issues with her diagnosis or uh, any issues due to her prematurity or like a combination of the two? Yeah, so it was it was actually a, a pretty straightforward stay, I would say. Um, I think the for me, the hardest part was was just grappling with what this diagnosis meant. Um, and, you know, we, we met so many people, like we met, you know, her pediatrician and we met True Colours and we met um, Rainbow Place, which is the children's hospice here. And mm -hmm. just, it was just like this momentous thing where, I don't know, I found it, I found it very hard to relate to the other parents in the unit because it just seemed like we were on this different path. And I know that's actually yeah. now with hindsight, I realise that's not true. I know that there's so many NICU parents who go in there and leave without their baby or go in and their baby gets a life-changing diagnosis but at that time I couldn't see that all I could see was that there were these babies all around us who just needed to learn to drink a few more bottles or this or that um, mm -hmm. and so I felt very alone and honestly just spent pretty much all my time crying by her bassinet yeah. um, I'm pretty yeah. sure the other parents must have just been like what is wrong with this woman like her baby's 35 <laughs> weeks and perfectly fine <laughs> can't judge a book by its cover I eh? like that's one of the most important yeah. things I think especially I in NICU, you can't just 
you can't just assume that someone's baby is fine because of their gestation or their size or yeah whatever and you know because like so guilty of that myself like Mm. yeah and I agree like and now I realize that everybody who has a NICU stay has their own story and it's not just as simple as you go in there for a week or 10 weeks or what it's like this whole change to your life and the way you view pregnancy and birth and your child and everything it's pretty life-changing yeah so after Maeve came home um obviously after despite I should say despite her diagnosis and her um her probable outcomes does she have quite or did you have quite a um straightforward like postpartum period did you have any issues like after being in hospital for so long or after having Maven Niku um yeah so I did have a very straightforward postpartum um uh, since having more kids now I realized that I actually blacked it all out like um, Mm. after I had her like immediately after the birth I don't I didn't like I had no pain no painkillers like nothing and now I realize like that's not normal I think my brain like shut all of that off because it was like there's way too much other trauma happening Mm. like so it was very easy postpartum um I like it was again I feel like all Nikki mums can relate well most Nikki mums can relate um like the whole pumping trying to breastfeed around the clock like all that that obviously was challenging um Mm -hmm. and I did have an amazing lactation consultant who like saved our breastfeeding journey and despite being told that I would probably never breastfeed her she went home and got her NG tube out like maybe a week after we got home um I think I was quite institutionalized after being in hospital for so long so it was a bit of a shock getting back in the real world um but (laughs) yeah I did I did have postnatal depression after she was born um and I don't I, I guess I have no way of knowing like how much of that is like the pregnancy or the the diagnosis or the NICU stay um but I think it's probably pretty common in like after traumatic pregnancies or births or NICU stays. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, and then obviously you had to then go through the loss of Maeve, which I cannot even fathom how you managed to make it through that. Um, yeah. but, but with your subsequent pregnancy, so you've got three other children, did you yeah. have any issues with your pregnancy with them like um did you ever find out if Maeve's diagnosis was genetic and could potentially be like you know passed on to your other kids yes yeah, so Maeve's diagnosis was a chromosomal um like a micro deletion on one of her chromosomes um so right. we, we got tested when we were in NICU I remember going off to like the path lab or whatever in the hospital um and I can't even remember when we got the results back, but we were not carriers of the um, of the syndrome that she had. Um, right, right. But and we had like genetic counselling and that kind of thing, and they basically told us that we were not carriers, but there can be like a low chance that it can 
affect like a small amount of the eggs or the sperm so like you can't rule right. out that it wouldn't happen again but it's unlikely to um okay. so uh, that uh, it was yeah that that was kind of complicated i suppose just like worrying about that um and yeah. i as soon as Maeve was born i was desperate to have another baby like i know that might sound horrible and it wasn't obviously about replacing her she lived for 14 months so she you know we had like a, a long time with her um but I, I guess it was just like wanting to replace the experience, like wanting to experience hopefully yeah. a normal pregnancy and a normal birth and a normal newborn situation. Um, I can 100% relate to that. I felt the exact yeah. same way. Really? Um, and when we had our singleton, obviously, like obviously it was slightly different because we had healthy babies at the end of the day, but I felt like robbed of all this experience. Yes you know, like experience the end of pregnancy and um, stupid little things that to me weren't stupid or little, but like um, picking their coming home outfit or yes. taking an announcement photo. And just, I, I was desperate to have that again, yeah. to, to have it at all, you know? So yeah, I can, I can totally relate. It's to very understandable. It's, you just, you just want to be run of the mill, right? You just want to have the average yeah, experience. Yeah. And you want to be able to like relate to other people who have those average experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. just little, like being able to take your baby home straight away. Yes. Um, having skin to skin, like you got that. I didn't get that. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, just stuff that should be stock standard that you don't get because of NICU or because of diagnoses or illness or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. 100%. I, yeah, I can totally relate to that. But with, um, so Murphy was your second? Yes. So I fell pregnant with Murphy when May was just after her first birthday. Um, so when May died, I was right. about 10 weeks pregnant. Um, and I was very zen about the pregnancy mm -hmm. until May died. And then I just went into a complete panic, like, what if this baby dies too? Like just all those thoughts yeah. went through my mind. And so we went for um, a CVS, like the um, procedure where they put the needle into your stomach and take out the sample of the placenta. Um, so we went to Auckland yeah. for that and that ruled out the, the same diagnosis that Maeve had. So, um, and they also like, do the microarray where they check all the different um, chromosomes and stuff. So yeah. it was still like a very, very stressful, difficult pregnancy. Um, just yeah. obviously like very fresh grief. Like he was born six-ish months after Maeve died. Um, mm -hmm. But like I can't complain in that. It was a very run-of-the-mill pregnancy. Um, we my, my biggest fear was having another NICU baby um I think like every single thing we went through with Maeve by far the worst most traumatic part for me was that time in NICU um yeah and so I like had all these 
now I realize very irrational and unrealistic plans about if Murphy was prem, like that's fine, I'll take him home, um, I'll I'll do all I'll like do all the things at home, I'll have him on oxygen at home, all this stuff. Um, <laughs> and because you know, with Maeve, we like ran a home hospital for her, um, so yeah. we were like well versed in feeding tubes and oxygen and so on. But I realized that now they wouldn't have just let us home with this little prem baby so fortunately Murphy was born at like 38 weeks and he was born at the birth center and it was all very nice and it was a very healing experience to have yeah yeah I can imagine and it was like having visitors to visit him where I wasn't just crying yeah. I was also really yeah. nice yeah um and then you've so you've had two other babies um same same with them did you have the cvs with them as well yep i did so we did that for um junie and um albie as well and all came back clear um and yeah funny like i'm sure again lots of people can probably relate to this like i found it quite hard that then with um with junie and albie they were both covid babies and so Mm. we didn't like all that stuff that we did with Murphy, which was really special, but also I was like deeply grieving at the time still for Maeve. Not that that stops, yeah. but you know, like it's very, very fresh. Yeah. And then when I was pregnant with Junie, I was like, okay, this is going to be my experience to just have it normal and calm and the siblings meet and all this. And then she was yeah, born in the height of COVID and no visitors. And anyway, mm. but like, I know yeah. that that's mild in comparison, but yeah, they were, they were straightforward and yeah healthy kids so we're very very fortunate to have had them after after Maeve yeah yeah she definitely would have been watching over them I think if you believe in that kind of thing but yeah she she would have been making sure that her little brothers and little brother and sisters no brothers and sisters (laughs) I I think so I I love the idea that um you know like some people believe that like the spirits of people that have gone before wait with the babies waiting to be born and I just love that thought like I'm not even sure if I believe it but it's just like a nice thing to think about that she was with them before they came to our family yeah yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story and I've said it so many times but I'm so sorry about the loss of Maeve like I can't even begin to fathom how you have made it through that immeasurable grief. Um, but I'm so glad that you've got your three other babes and you never had to go through NICU again, touch wood, yeah. you never had to go back into a hospital yes, again. that would be nice. <laughs> well, thank you for having me and letting me talk about Maeve. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me. So, yeah, that was um, Kirsten's story. And obviously, like I said at the beginning, it was a bit of a heavy one. Um, and ultimately, yeah, the loss of, of Maeve is just something that I hope no one really ever has to go through. Um, this is life, I suppose. But yeah, awful, awful, awful. But Kirsten is a very strong person. She's got her three rainbow babies. Um, and she finds joy in speaking about Maeve and sharing sharing Maeve's story and celebrating her life, which 100% deserves to be celebrated um there are a couple of kind of services that kirsten mentioned briefly 
True Colors and Rainbow Place. I will put a little bit of information about those uh, in the in the show notes um, in case anyone does need either of those services. Um, but yeah, so let's um, hug our babies tight because losing them is just awful. But thank you so much again to Kirsten for, for sharing Maeve with us. Um, it's very brave to to open up about obviously such a a hard part of her life but I'm I'm very grateful that um she was willing and trusted me with with the story of of what she went through and Niku and everything with Maeve so I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and yeah we'll we'll chat soon bye